0: first time I heard that song was 23 years ago. We were on staff together. We were doing our orientation. Actually, we were there just the week before orientation actually started. Uh, We were getting the camp ready, painting and getting everything ready for the camp to start. And uh, Tony Cecil and I were... Walking into the chapel This is before they gutted the bottom of it And we walked in We heard this beautiful voice singing And so we looked at each other And then we followed the voice To the back of the chapel And Sherry with a little boombox Cassette tape I think i show you how old we are Because I'm sure some of our kids Don't even know what a cassette tape is or a boom box. Yeah, Or a boombox <laughs> It's not an mp3 player Or an ipod Or whatever they're called And she quickly turned it off. We were like, why? She was shy. And uh, we told her, you have to sing that for camp. Oh, no, 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 no. But she did. (laughs) Five weeks of camp, she sang it. So uh, that was the first time, almost 23 years ago. So that was mid-June. So it's almost 23 years ago to the day that I first heard that song. And uh, when Todd asked me a few weeks ago to... uh, preach, usually that's no big problem. I said, yes, that'd be no problem, because I usually have something I've been, you know, churning in my head and, and wanted to know, and then I was, I was, I mean, that's the first time I can say in a long time that I was a loss for words after, and I was reading a book by John Ortberg, and there was a story that he was talking about, and it piqued my curiosity, so I, you know, of course I had to go into the Bible and really go in and, and dive into it, And then once I got the answer and and, and knew about the story, I said, that's it. You know, Todd's been telling us for months now to tell our story. And so that's what all the music, that's what that song, that's why I asked her, I said, would you please sing that song? Because it, it ties in just perfect in what would need to be said. And so... In studying I came across this book by Francis Chan. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him. I'll tell you what, he he he's a excellent speaker, but he's a great author as well. And uh, he has a book called Multiply. And I tell you what, reading through that book, it's not a very long book, but it took me forever to get through the book because I had to put it down sometimes because I was under such conviction because I wasn't Living the life like I should be as a disciple. He emphasizes that for us as believers, we're all preachers. You know, Todd's the pastor of the church, you know, the shepherd, but every believer is a preacher. People say, well, I'm not supposed to preach. Now, if you take the word in the Greek word to to proclaim, the preacher means to proclaim. What are we to proclaim? We are to proclaim the good news. So we're all preachers if we're believers in Jesus Christ. And so after I finally got through the book, it was it was it was encouraging afterwards because it helped me to realize I need to be telling my story, and just like multiply, just like each one reach one. God didn't say Randy, Sherry, Andrew, to reach the world for Christ, did he? It's not an individual effort; it's a corporate for the church you take each one reach one one times one or well one plus one equals two then you multiply that two times two is what four four times four is you know sixteen and then you keep going up or even if you do addition one plus one is two two plus two is four four is eight you double that sixteen thirty two sixty four four and you see how quickly, because I hear people all the time, oh, there's no way we can reach eight, 8 billion people. No, we can't. But as a church, we can. If we would each, just imagine, I don't know, we had, just for easy math's sake, You had 49 in Sunday school. So let's say we have 50 here today, which is more than that. So if we each one reached one in one month, so let's say at the end of June, if we all reached one, how many would be in worship service? At the end of June, 100. So if you take that math and you multiply it, you can see that we can reach the world. And we will before Christ comes. The whole known world will know. Just think about it. Before A.D. 100, before the close of the first century, the whole known Roman world knew about Jesus Christ. Started with one, Jesus. Went to 12, the 12 apostles. And then look how quickly it spread. I want to quickly tell my story real quick and then we'll get into the, the message. I remember Carolyn Welch when she gave her testimony I, I was like I was sitting there thinking man that, that's my testimony in a nutshell I, I grew up with Tony Cecil we went to church he's now a pastor um, he went forward Dwight Mayab Larry Hall some other of my friends all went forward and I saw what they did they shook the hand everybody hugged them you know then they were baptized so what did I do? I went forward. They accepted Christ. I was age I was eight years old at the time. I come forward, shook shook Larry Brown, the pastor's hand, got all kinds of handshakes and hugs from everybody that came by. I got dunked, but nothing changed in my life. There was no conviction of sin. I still did the same things I did prior to that went on for 13 years you know I'd come forward on revivals and stuff and rededicate my life but how can you rededicate something if you didn't dedicate it in the first place January of 1993 started at Clear Creek Baptist Bible College there's this missionary on furlough from South Africa by the name of Dr. James Diddy call him Daddy Diddy because his son was also a professor there at Clear Creek. The second day of class, it was a Tuesday-Thursday class. It wasn't, it was a Thursday-Friday class. And he comes up to me afterwards, and I'm packing up my backpack and all the other students are trying to leave class. He comes up to me and says, Are you okay? Is anything wrong? First of all, I popped up and I said, yeah, everything's fine. And in the back of my mind, I was like, how in the world are you coming up to me and asking me this? You don't even know me. This is the second time we've ever met, and you're coming up to me and asking me if everything's okay? My world was crashing around me. And this professor, on his second day of knowing me, come up to me and asked me if everything's okay. Oh, I played it off. I played the perfect hypocrite role there. I did. I played it off like nothing's, everything's OK. It was, was the second week of January, so by the end of January, I kept going round and round about my salvation. Was I truly saved at age eight? And finally, at like the third week of class, I was slowly putting my books in my backpack, looking around making sure everybody got out of the room. And Dr. Diddy, he, he picked up his books, and getting to walk out and I said, sir, can I talk with you? He said, sure, come with me. We went to his office. I sat there in front of his desk. I, I said South Korea, it was actually uh, South Africa because I remember the clock, he had the South Africa clock from where he came over right behind his desk. And we we started talking. You know, I said, I was doubting my salvation. Didn't know if I was truly saved. And he was asking these questions. And then he finally put his hands on the desk and just looked at me eye to eye and said, do you want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt? And I said, yes, I do. I'm in tears. A young man, age 21, talking to another adult male and I'm in tears and he comes over and puts his hand on my shoulder and he led me to Christ right there I admitted that I was a sinner I knew I couldn't do it on my own and I asked Christ into my heart just like Carolyn said I would have missed out on heaven by by 18 inches from the distance from my head to my heart because I thought I was saved And I know a lot of people ask me, Well, you probably were saved today, Jake, but no you know, reading through the Bible and, and studying God's word, I know I wasn't saved today, Jake, because like I said before, when I sinned there was no convicting conviction on my heart. I stole stuff, I did stuff to people and all this stuff and, and, and there was no conviction. Now man, if I do that, if I say something that I know I'm not supposed to say, if I do something I'm not supposed to do, Christ comes in the Holy Spirit comes in and convicts my heart and says, You're not supposed to do that. And then right then and there I do. I, I confess my sins and I say, Lord, please forgive me. He has forgiven me. See that's the difference. I know now. And that's my story. And there would be some of you sitting here. I mean I know this story that I'm going to present you've heard of I'm preaching to the choir but I, I just want you to know don't be sitting there thinking that you're saved if you're truly not if you know what, that you, if you messed up and there's no conviction of sin that's what finally settled it in my life and you know when we when I left that room when I left his office you know what the, what the thing that he said to me that, that really has stuck to me all these years he said you know God sent me here just for you he was only on furlough for six months. See God if if you're seeking God, he will reach you. Dr. James Diddy. I love that man. Never saw him again after that semester. See, isn't God good? Now if you don't mind, let's turn to Mark chapter five. verses 18 through 20. As you're turning there, just real quickly, this is the demonic. This is, you know, when Jesus comes over, he goes to the other side of the Jordan or the Sea of Galilee, and he goes into Decapolis is what it's called. There's there's nobody else around but this demonic, and all of a sudden he comes out, and we know the story that he can break chains He has legions of demons in him. He's outside of his mind. Nobody is around him because he's crazy. I mean, think about it. If you're possessed by legions of demons, don't you think it would be rough? Nobody wanted to be near him. And then here comes Jesus on the scene. Jesus, uh, uh, the, the demonic approaches him. Uh, the demons speak out what do you want with this son of God and then you know Jesus reprimands them be quiet even the demons knew that Jesus is the Christ that's the head knowledge when we believe in Jesus Christ that's when it goes into our heart he speaks with these demons And the demons say, well, cast cast us out into this herd of pigs. And so this legion of demons are cast out into this herd of pigs, and the pigs run off a cliff and die. And then all of a sudden, the people find out what's going on. And they come and they tell Jesus to leave. They're scared of Jesus. I mean, think about it. If you know that a herd of pigs can just run off the cliff, wouldn't you be scared? You know, they didn't know about Jesus. They knew stories about him from over on the other side, but they never have experienced him personally. So they asked him to leave. And this brings us to Mark chapter five, 18 through20. And as he was getting into the boat, the man he was, as he was getting into the boat, the man who was being demon-possessed was entreating him that he might accompany him, and he did not let him go. But he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. A lot of times we we hear about this story right here. But we don't know all the details because it's talking about on the other side. Reading that book by Ortberg really piqued my curiosity to find out what all went on here and then the rest of the story. just pray that you just be with us as we go through this time. Help us to share our story. We just love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Again, real quick background. I just told you what was going on just before this event. Jesus was in his popularity toward the end of his second ministry, second year of his ministry. Everywhere he went, there was people around him. He, you know, not long ago, he created he uh, five thousand men. That's upwards of twenty to twenty five thousand people he fed. He did the Sermon on the Mount, and everywhere he went, there's always people wanting him to heal their sick loved ones so he never really had time to really spend with his disciples one on one so this is where he, 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 he drops a bomb on, the, on his disciples one day Jesus just says well let's go to the other side and I'm sure the disciples were saying what what are you talking about We know what we would say today. The other side of the tracks. Or other side of, of, of a language barrier. And that's what the disciples were thinking. Why are you going to go over into a Gentile country when you need to be here with the Jewish people? So the other side of the lake was the region of Decapolis, it means ten cities. This was largely enemy territory. Its inhabitants were pagan. Like I said, when he arrived, there was only one person there, a demonic. Nobody else arrived. So his popularity, you know, people didn't really care about Jesus on the other side. Why? get to that in a little bit. There's tradition, that says, on the other side, there's seven uh, Canaanite tribes. Those were the ones that when they first came into the area to, to take the promised land, these are some names that you know of, Hittites, Hivites. Gergasites, Amorites, the Jebusites, you know all those. That's when they came over, they conquered. They didn't fully conquer them and what happened was they grouped together on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, River Jordan, in that area, and that's where it became known as Decapolis because it was ten different or it was seven nations and there were ten different cities that were Roman colonies and there were a garrison of Roman troops there to help with the peace, because they still, even though they were seven, they were different. And just like a lot of times when we we have different racial tensions in our country. But the Jews regarded the other side as a place where Satan lived. It was dark. It was evil. It was demonic. No one. No one on the Jewish side wanted to go over to that land. God had promised to drive out the Canaanites, and He did. Now they're living, you know, grouped together over here, away from the Jewish settlement. And I'm sure the disciples are saying, What are you doing? I mean, think about it. I don't think they actually verbally said it, but I guarantee you in the back of my mind, because that's what I said when I first read through this. I was like, what is he doing? That's when we get into our secular mind frame. What was he doing? What he's telling them is, I'm not just for your side. I'm also for the other side. The Gentiles the whole world that's what he's presenting here that's what he's saying what what were the Jewish people supposed to be doing what we as a church are supposed we're a priesthood of believers right that's what the Jews were supposed to be to the world they were supposed to live their life praising God that that the nations around them would see that and would want that for themselves but they took it and hid it to themselves so when Jesus said let's go over to the other side the disciples may not have been happy but Jesus was fulfilling God's purpose God's mission not the Jewish mission but his father's plan of salvation so when he landed the large crowds the disciples had grown used to on the other side were absent they were not there the reception committee was one a demonic he fell to his knees this demonic and says what do you want with me Jesus the Christ this is the demons talking in him this is the demons what James says the demons know Jesus and they you know, tremble that should wake us up to realize if the demons know that Jesus Christ is the son of God they're not going to heaven are they It goes far more than just knowing it in your head. I know a lot of people who who read the Bible, but they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They don't confess Christ as Lord of their life. It's head knowledge. Jesus asked the evil spirit, What is your name? Legion is my name. If you know anything about a Roman legion, a, a Roman legion is... 1,000 soldiers so does that mean that there was 1,000 spirits in the person we don't know that but we know there was more than one and I guarantee you there's more than two if it says legion this man was possessed by multiple demons he would cut himself he would go outside of his mind I mean people wouldn't want to be around him they tried to chain him up, and what did he do? He broke the chains. How many of you ever broke a chain? I broke a chain by you know chipping away at it and then finally breaking it, but I've never actually broke it. And what is ironic here is you know the Roman legion that was stationed in De- the Decapolis. Do you know what the, their symbol was? A boar's head. What's a boar? A pig. And the Jews did not like pigs. They said it was unclean. But also, at this time frame, just shortly before Jesus came on the uh, scene, if you know anything about extra-biblical history, there was this person by the name of Anath... I'm going to try to say it right. Anath- <laughs> Anathias Epiphanes the Fourth. He was one of the uh, generals under Alexander the Great when Alexander the Great died he split his kingdom up into four kingdoms and Epiphanes took Egypt the Seleucid dynasty is what it's called and with the Jewish revolt he finally came up squashed the Jewish revolt and to uh, he desecrated the temple a lot of people say this is the desolation of desecration that's talked about in Revelation and also talked about in Daniel he went into the Holy of Holies where the ark of the covenant was supposed to be which we know when the second temple it wasn't there but there still was the holy of holies and he sacrificed a pig in the holy of holies why do you say that i'm just saying that because the boar's head was the roman legion and a lot of people thought that you know with the romans and that's why they they hated the pig so when Jesus said, yeah, go into the, that herd, it was just a way of, of Jesus letting him know that, hey, even though Rome is in charge, I'm still Lord of this earth. Now, when all this happened, they didn't pay any attention to, to this crazed man is now saying He can actually talk with them and speak with them. They don't pay any attention to that. What do they do? Because that herd of pigs is their livelihood and he killed them. So what did this group of people come in and tell Jesus to do? Leave. They're scared to death of Jesus. And they ask him to leave. So you imagine how this man's feeling. Has he just been told to stay behind? You, know, you when I first read it, I was thinking, Jesus, why? Why are you leaving this man? all alone by himself why don't you take him with you he's confessed you as his Lord and Savior why don't you allow him to follow you like all those others that follow you why are you leaving them behind by yourself but get this get what it says here go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you you know what mercy is we don't get what we deserve. You know what grace is? We, you know, I think I, I backed that up. Grace means we don't get what we deserve, mercy means pretty much thankful that we don't get what we deserve. In other words, Christ took that punishment on the cross. That's mercy. We deserve death. We didn't deserve life, but through his mercy we get heaven. We get that that sin forgiven. When I prayed and asked Christ into my life, I know this, you know, a lot of people don't want to say emotion, but I, I get I don't know how to describe it, but it was like someone took off my shoulders a big boulder and took it off of me. That's the only way I can can explain that. The burden of my sin was now gone. And that's what's being said here. That's what this man is saying. There was no argument. The man didn't say, but Jesus, please, 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 didn't beg him. What did the man do? He knew Jesus was his Lord, and his Lord said, stay and tell your story. You know, as Paul Harvey used to say, Here's the rest of the story. Jesus returned to Decapolis probably six months later. Right at the beginning of his third year of ministry, late second year. So within six months, Jesus comes back to Decapolis. And do you know what happened? When he got off the boat, thousands of people were standing there cheering him and welcoming there. A lot of times when we read through the Bible, we, we get to the demonic and we don't realize, but he made another trip to Decapolis. And this trip was different. He was welcomed, thousands appeared. I guarantee you, and you can probably ask Jesus when you get to heaven, I guarantee you when he stepped out on that boat and he saw those people, you know, on the other side they got sort of frustrated, the disciples, because you know, they wanted some rest, but I guarantee you Jesus had a smile on his face. So the second time he came, it was one of the most dramatic responses in all of the New Testament. One to thousands in six months how did that happen? And I'm sure in the back of the disciples' mind, he's still, they're still saying, Whose side are you on? I'm sure there was a scrowl on the faces of the disciples. They may have tried to mask it with a little fake smile, like, because uh-huh, Jesus is there, welcoming them. But they're wondering, Whose side are you on? This is prejudice. This is deep-rooted prejudice. This is hatred that goes back to Joshua. This is bitterness. When we allow bitterness to take root in our lives over years, you see what happens. So what changed? The first time they were scared and asked Jesus to leave... And now this transformation, so what changed? Mark 5.20 gives us the answer. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. They were no longer scared, but they were amazed. I mean, think about it. I mean, what would you do if you were in Decapolis, and all of a sudden this person who used to be a demonic strolls up to you and just comes up here and says, Hey, Gary, how you doing? I mean, what would you do? And because they knew that there was a change in this person, because now he, they're able to understand what he's saying. before they, they couldn't. So he told them how Jesus had changed his life, and in so doing, he went to the next person to the next person and then before long he probably could just stand on a street corner and there'd be a group of people and he could share his testimony then because of what Jesus had done for him that's all he did all he did was tell his story the one turned into thousands on the next trip he told them of his hope you know, we think about our war today. We think about some of the other side. We think about the terrorists. We think about our economy and our high bills and all this stuff, and we think that there's just no hope. You know, we, we try to, to put money back for the rainy day, and all of a sudden something happens, and when we can't do that. It seems like it's paycheck to paycheck. We can't get ahead. It seems like, you know, we hear all these terrorist ISIS and all this trying to get over here into our country and all this stuff, that what they're doing to Christians and what they're doing. But folks, who's in charge? What, did the, what does the Bible say is going to happen? Things are going to get worse before it gets better. But our hope is in Jesus Christ, not in the government. If you have hope in the government, you're definitely on the wrong So where is our hope? The hope that each of us has is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. That is where our hope is in this country and that is where our hope is in this life. The hope is in Jesus Christ. That's a quote by Billy Graham. Our hope is Jesus Christ. So they heard about Jesus. They heard that Jesus cares for them. They heard that Jesus loves them. They heard that Jesus can heal them. And so when they see Him coming on the boat, that's the reason why they come. They heard the story. Now they get to see the story. That's the rest of the story. Jesus comes back. Now there's something that I want to dwell on just real quick here. And we'll close out this message. In Mark chapter 6. We know that on the other side, in Israel, Jesus feeds 5,000 men, roughly 20,000, 25,000 people. How many baskets of food were left over? Twelve. I may be spiritualizing here just a bit, but going through and studying and reading this, But how many tribes were originally part of the uh, Jewish nation? Twelve. Okay. So now we we, we forward to Mark chapter 8. This is after he's landed. I never knew this. I thought the feeding of the 4,000 was in Israel as well. But it wasn't. It was over here in Decapolis. So there's 4,000 men roughly, I guess, 15 to 20,000 people. What is amazing to that is, you know, nearly two years, and then there was 20 to 25,000 people of his ministry, and then within six months, there's 15 to 20,000 people. I mean, that's something to think about there too. So why is there a variation? Why is there 4,000 and 5,000? So how many baskets were left over with the feeding of the 4,000? seven how many nations were represented in Decapolis seven like I said I may be spiritualizing a little bit but I like to let this sink in seven does mean complete feeding the four thousand was the last of that multiple uh, feedings so seven could be meaning just complete it was 5,000 for the Jewish nation, 4,000 for the Gentiles. But what it's basically saying is, I'm for all sides. I came for the world. So the variation, I mean, like I said, that's something that you can go in and read and study about on yourselves. But that's just what, what I've got out of this. I just, I just think it's wonderful. Twelve baskets for the twelve tribes, seven baskets for the seven nations just to represent the Gentiles. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to know that Jesus is for all people. And then love of enemies is perhaps Jesus' teaching that is most famous and also most violated by his people. We as humans, we're, we're, we're side takers. You know, we watch football, basketball. I know I pull for the underdog during the NCAA tournament, stuff of that nature. But we choose sides. Is that a bad thing? Depends on how you take it. We shouldn't divide human race. Shouldn't be black, white, Mexican, white. Shouldn't be uh, anything of that nature. Christ came for all people. Two of the most powerful words in the human race its called the in-group. I know where I work. If you're not in the in-group, you don't get promotions. So I must not be in the in-group because I've been there all three years and still doing the same thing I'm doing. But how I see it and that's what my wife had to finally come to me and say if God wants you to be promoted He'll break down that barrier and you will get that promotion. So I just sit there and do my job and then I had a CSM come up to me and says I put you in for this little position to help in in training. (laughs) Isn't God wonderful? If you allow Him to He'll put you in the in-group. That's the narrow road. But Jesus seems to have regarded Himself as the man of all sides. And that's what we need to em- emphasize here. What Jesus did is remarkable. You know, we think, how, why did He leave that one person behind? He knew what that person was. He knew that person's heart. He knew that that person did accept Him as His Lord and Savior. So He didn't have any worries about Him being left behind. He knew that He would tell His story. And within six months a remarkable transformation occurred. Thousands of people came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And they came to meet their Savior there. Some of them may not have actually accepted Christ when they heard the demonic, or the well that's what we know him as, you don't have his name, but that person who was left behind to tell his story, they may not have accepted Christ then, but when they came and met Jesus, I'm sure there were thousands who did. All because of one person, folks. Do you realize that? I hear it all the time saying, I'm just one person, I can't do it. But just imagine if that's what that person said. Then there would have been thousands of people lost. But because of his testimony, because of his willingness to go and tell others, thousands of people are in heaven. Actually, millions of people are in heaven because of his story, because it's recorded in the Bible. But thousands of people, friends, family, neighbors, came to the love of Jesus Christ because he told his story. Why are we so scared to tell people about what Christ has done in our life? How he has saved us from a life of sin, brought us into that loving relationship as Lord, and what he's doing for you today? It's not that hard. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you so much for this you know we call him the demonic but we thank you for his story it's recorded in the Bible you know sometimes as we go through the Bible we see stories and we don't realize what's all going on but it's nice to see how that these two visits to Decapolis are vastly different it's because the hope that was offered in Jesus Christ through this one man who was saved and told his story about Jesus Christ. He didn't brag about himself. He bragged on Jesus. And they saw the change in this man. And they knew that he had been with Jesus. And that's the change. Help us to tell our story to our friends, our family members. And it may be somebody at Walmart. If the Holy Spirit leads us, help us to just to tell our story. It's not our job to save them. That's the Holy Spirit. Our job is to tell them The hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And we let the Spirit lead and guide from there. I know there's been multiple times where I have told my story to someone and found out a few months or years later that they came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. I don't care who who is the one there that helped to guide and lead. But help us to plant that seed. It's our job. It is a job. It's a command by God to tell our story, what Christ has done in our lives.
1: We just love you
0: and thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you take your hymnals, turn to to hymn number 275, I Surrender.